come to a close of Philippians and our study of bearing the marks of a Christian. You remember we used a, we borrowed a verse out of Galatians a, of Paul that where he says, I bear the marks of Christ upon my body. And we too look today and we've studied these words out of Philippians so that we too may bear the marks of Christ in our day as a church, as his people. And we looked at several of the different marks. We'll go over them here in a little bit. But we bring it to a close today with the mark of strength. That we as God's people uh, are to be a people marked by the strength of Christ. That we're not um, a weak people. We are to be a bold people, not a uh, people who are the type that would shirk back at the first sign of challenge or or fear. But we are a people who have a full confidence in who Christ is, not only in all of who He is, but also of all we are in Him. And so we will study that this morning. And as I was studying these words, I was... Um, struck this week again they're just they're at the same time profound words and sometimes perplexing words and sometimes troubling sometimes comforting but words that always provoke me to try to go deeper into understanding what did Jesus mean when he said who the sun sets free is truly free indeed and and of course as a as a minister of the word I've I've learned to alliterate that with three P's. Um, we're free from the power of sin, the perjury of sin, and the punishment of sin. And those are sort of the obvious things on the, on the top of what Jesus means there. That because He has been victorious on the cross and the Holy Spirit now resides in me, I have the power to say no to temptation. I have the power to resist the devil. I have the power to walk in discipleship with Christ. And I don't have to listen to the enemy whisper in my ear that it's not true, that Jesus really doesn't love me, that I'm really not a child of God. And, and the people who would want to define me by their own, their own definitions of who I am instead of living in the definition of who Jesus says that I am. And that's the perjury of sin. And I'm, I'm freed from that in Christ Jesus. And then certainly the punishment of sin, which we all know is death. And we know that because Jesus is victorious and has been victorious over the grave, we too in Him are victorious over the grave as well. And so those are sort of the obvious things that I look at when I see that Jesus says who the Son has set free is free indeed. And then I realize there's something much deeper in that. There's something in there that speaks to me much deeper. There's something that He goes to in my heart where I realize in those words and those words alone, I remember and I realize and it comes to a truth in my heart, He created me for freedom. From the very beginning in the garden, you and I were created to be free. And I think it's in the heart of every human being we seek and want to know what does it mean for us to be free. But, because of sin and the failure in the garden, unless something and someone happens to us, we are constantly enslaved 
to trying to create our own freedom. And not realizing the only way for us to ever be free is a godly freedom that comes to us in Christ Jesus. But to have that freedom requires supernatural strength. A strength which is the outflow of abiding in Christ. Living in Jesus. These, these verses we started out with this morning where Paul says, I, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in want. I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We read those verses and we think, well, the main topic there is contentment. Really, right? Because it's all about me. Right? So, so Paul is telling the Holy Spirit, listen, because of Jesus, his whole objective is for you to just be content. And if that's where we are, we, we really miss the point of these verses. The point of these verses is this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have his strength. You have his strength. What Paul wants under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the Philippian church and also you and I to know as the people of God, you have the mark of his strength. That's how you know how to be content. Contentment doesn't bring strength. It's strength that brings contentment. The main subject here is not you and me. The main subject here is Christ and His strength that is availed to us by abiding in Him. It's a supernatural strength that you and I have. Paul in Ephesians would say this. It's the same strength, it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead that indwells you and I. It's an incredible thing when we really think about it, when we really ponder on what does that mean. It means me, little old me, has the power of the resurrection residing inside of my heart. Yeah, hallelujah. You and I should be, that should encompass our daily speech. Hallelujah. I have resurrecting power in my heart. And Paul wants you and I to know that, to realize that, because to have that strength is what gives you and I freedom. Freedom from what? Well, he explains it here in these verses. And look in verse 10 and 11. The first thing he gives us strength to live free from is dependency upon other people or circumstances. To be free from depending upon what other people say or do or think or circumstances that surround us. It, it allows us to live freely in the definition of who Christ says that you and I are. He says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking about being in need. What, what, what is Paul saying? Somewhere along the line, you remember the Philippian church was one of the first to give money to Paul when he started his missionary journeys. They always were sort of a joy to Paul, a supporter of Paul, one who Paul loved. 
but there was a season of time apparently where they were unable or, or didn't have the means or somehow couldn't get money to Paul to help him with his missionary journey. Yet they still prayed for him. They still sent letters to him. They still encouraged him along the way. They just couldn't send the money for that. But you notice what Paul says. It's, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you've done this again, but I'm not speaking about being in need. I'm glad that you're participating in the ministry. That's a great deal. I'm glad that you're encouraging me. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're part of what God is doing in the world. That's great. But don't get me wrong. I didn't need it. I have Christ. I live by the means of Jesus. I live how Jesus defines me. I live by Jesus' provisions. I live in dependency upon who Christ is and who I am in Christ. Whether you gave it to me or some other hand gave it to me, I knew that the power of the giving was in Christ Jesus. You see, it allowed Paul to be free from the circumstances of depending on anybody to say, Paul, your ministry is worth it. You might imagine how Paul might get discouraged if, if someone said, you know, you're a really good guy, like you, but your ministry's got some real issues. We really like the way Apollos preaches better than you. He's a much kind of, he's more, he's, he's smarter. He's got some bigger words. You can imagine how that might discourage Paul. Critics always have one objective. It's discouragement. Constructive criticism is something much different than a critical heart. But I'm telling you, as one who has to stand up in front of people and do the best that they can to deliver the Word of God by hopefully the Spirit's power. Criticism still hurts. And you must know, if I did not know who I was in Christ, I'd rent bicycles for a living. You must know that if I didn't know who I was in Christ and who had called me to the ministry and why I am in this pulpit, I'd run like a dog from a hunter. That's a southern term. But I do know who strengthens me. As we sang, I know who, who goes behind me. I know who's ahead of me. I know who surrounds me. Do you? Criticism hurts as equally out in the pew as it does in the pulpit. Criticism from a boss at works hurts as equally as it does from a spouse in the house. Sometimes we're so busy listening to what people did not say that we can't hear what they've said. And you see, that's what Paul is saying. Listen to me. Listen to me, people. Listen to me, Philippians. It's great to be together in the ministry, but you must understand, I depend on Jesus. 
And because of that, I'm free. I'm free to know who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, and who sustains me. And that's what Paul is saying to you and saying to me. You are free to know who you are in Him. Once you know who you are in Christ and to Christ, nobody's definitions about you will ever matter as much as they did before again. Once you know who you are in Christ, you will know what your purpose in life is. Once you know who you are in Christ, you will know that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. You will know the truth of those three statements, the freedom of those statements. Let's look, not only do we have the strength to live free from dependency on men or circumstances, but we also have the strength to live contently. In verses 12, Paul goes on to say, Now that I'm speaking on 11 and 12, I'm not speaking about being in need, for I've learned whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is Paul talking about, about being content? Our Greek word there for contentment is a a word that means well-fed. It's a, it's a word that kind of goes out into like an agricultural term about cattle. That you're in, a, you're in a field full of grass. And it's the best grass around. You're not going to find any better grass on the entire earth. And the grass truly is greener on this side of the fence. And God has placed you in there. And He is that which you feed upon. And Paul says it's a mystery It's sort of a thing that you discover. It's a place that you enter into. And you enter into this field of being completely filled in Christ. And because you and I are completely filled in Him, and our sustenance is in Him, our sustaining power is in Him, we begin to realize, I am satisfied in all of who Christ is for me. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. We get so interested in the things of Christ and what Christ might give or Christ might take away that we miss we have Christ. What more could we want? You and I are joint heirs with the King of the universe. What more could we want? You remember the words, right, of our God to Abraham back in Genesis? Abram, I will be your shield. Abram, I will be your great reward. What are we focused on? Are we focused on our reward being God? Are we focused on the things of God being our reward? You see, if you and I really truly want to be satisfied, if we really want to truly be at peace, you and I must really believe 
that we have Christ and Christ has us. And because of that, we can be satisfied in all of who Jesus is and all of who we are in Jesus. No other human being can give you that. No other item made on this earth can give you that. There's no amount of money that can purchase it for you. There's nobody that can take it away from you. You, as a believer and a follower of Christ, have all of who He is. And you share in all of who He is. And all of who you are is defined by who you are in Him. Paul says, for that, I'm content. Where does the challenge come The challenge comes because so often we build up a God that's in our image, a God that we want. The French philosopher Voltaire, who was never a a friend to Christianity, but said something really astute. He said that God has made man his own image and and man has returned the favor. And it, it begs us to ask the question, Maybe the reason it's hard for me to find satisfaction, maybe the reason it's hard for me to find contentment is because I'm looking for a God that I've built in my own image and not the God of the Bible. Maybe it's the God that I expect to make this life everything I want this life to be. Maybe that's the one I worship. Because after all, He wants me to have everything I want. Maybe that's the one I've built in my own mind. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is using my plenty and my want to bring me to a place that I have Him. He wouldn't have me settle for lesser loves or lesser gods. Remember a few minutes ago I said maybe sometimes we're listening so hard for what's not being said that we cannot hear what's being said. Well, sometimes we look so hard at what God is not doing that we miss seeing what God is doing. One thing we can always be assured of, God is using every circumstance that we define as troublesome or or good or bad or great, sorrowful or happy. God is taking that whole amalgamation of stuff And using it for our good. Maybe you're in a rotten place by feelings and definitions and the world's world's construct. But have you ever thought God is using that to give me more of Him? Maybe God's showing me something in my desperation that my truly desperate need is Him. Maybe I've been asking for the wrong things. Maybe I've been looking for relief instead of redemption. Maybe I've been saying, God, just get me out of this instead of, Lord, bring me through this. So that I know you better. I know a man at one point whose body was riddled with disease, 
who by the power of the Holy Spirit was praying for relief, God, take this away, God, take this away, until the Holy Spirit convicted him to say, God, give me the strength to endure it all the way to the finish line so that I can have you. Whatever you're doing in my life right now, God, I know you're doing it for the purpose of drawing me closer to you. Get me home. Get me through it. And if it means I've got to go through it to have you more, then send me through it, God. That's what Paul is saying here. Whether I'm in persecution or I'm in want, whether I have plenty, no matter what the outward circumstances are, I'm content, I'm satisfied, because I know that my God is using all things to bring me to Him. And I am free to rest in that. What kind of stress would come off your shoulders and my shoulders if we truly believed that? How would our relationships be strengthened if we truly believed it? What if my plan was no longer dependent on other men and women to come through for me? What if I really believed that no matter what's going on, God's really in control of it and His plan for me can't fail to come through. That would change things, wouldn't it? That might change the way we view people. It might change the way we treat a few folks around here. It might make our homes completely different places filled with power. What if that's what we were teaching our children? Not only do we have the strength to live free from dependency on men or circumstances, strength to live contently, but we also have strength to be a blessing to others. I'm going to stretch out this verse a little bit to verse 17 and 19, through 19. Paul goes on and he's telling a little bit about how it used to be, even how they gave him the money in the beginning. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. In 17, he repeats, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. In other words, it's, it's not the gift that you're giving me. It's that you are being a blessing. And when you and I are being a blessing, we're not being a cursing. Those of you who have had philosophy before, you know the thing that A and B can't be both A and B at the same time. Right? If you're busy being a blessing, it's very difficult for you at the same time to be a cursing. And vice versa, if you're so busy being a cursing to someone, it's very hard for you to bless them. But Paul says, because I'm content in Christ and I find my strength in Him, it's good. I can bless you. Because in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here it is, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Jesus. Look at the blessing that Paul gives them. My God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. What if you said that to the person you're most critical of? 
or the group of people you're most critical of. My God will supply your needs through Christ Jesus. What you're saying to him is this. Whatever your shortcomings, whatever your failings, wherever you lack, I trust God that he's going to bless you with more than you could have ever imagined. How would your world be different? How would your home be different? Because you can't be a blessing and a cursing at the same time. You remember the book of James, right? Our brother James, what did he say? How strange can it be that a tongue can curse and bless at the same time? How can that be of God? You can't do it. But you can be a blessing of prayer for someone. You can be a blessing that says to that person, My God, our God, is going to bless you beyond your imagination. He's going to fill every gap that you have. He's going to fill every gap that I've got. I really believe that. I really believe that God's going to cover where I have failed. He's going to, all the things that are, you know, that are major doofuses of me, if that's a word, all those places, God's going to cover the gap. He already has. You know what? I believe that about you too. I believe that Jesus has covered you. If you, if you tell me, I have given my heart to Christ, I seek to follow Jesus as my master, I believe you're 100% covered. And instead of maybe discouraging you, maybe I ought to speak encouragement to you. And what could be more encouraging than to bless you to say, our God is going to supply all your needs. Our God is going to bless you beyond your imagination According how, not as I define what a blessing would look like, not as you define what a blessing might look like, but according to his riches. You and I are receiving blessings according to how God distributes and defines a blessing. Now be patient with me because sometimes it takes me a while to figure out what he's blessing me with. And I'm going to try to be patient with you too because sometimes I have a hard time figuring out what he's blessing you with. But we know the truth though, don't we? He's blessing us. I want to tell you something. I, and, and many of you will know this. It won't come as any big, huge surprise. I'm most secure on the water. I, I, you know, one of the most safest, happiest places for me is out on the water. I'd rather be in a canoe in a hurricane than an airplane on a nice calm day. I just like it. Especially if I've got twin coming diesels at about 500 horsepower apiece. Because I have great confidence in diesels. They're the power that drives the boat. And if a storm's coming, I can get out of the way. Or if a storm is there, I can head into the wind with those diesels. Nothing like the smell of boat exhaust. 
Can't smell jet exhaust. Think about that. But I know the water. I was raised on it. I'm in it. It surrounds me. I know what waves mean what. I know which way the wind blows means certain things. I know channel markers. I know what they are. I know what it is to maneuver in the water. I know what it is to be out in the ocean where you can't see land. I know how to get back to land. Because it's the territory in which I lived most of my life. I want to show you a little film clip this morning, and then we'll close it up this morning. Go ahead with that. This is out of the movie The Apostle Paul, uh, where uh, he's talking with a Roman Praetorian, and um, it'll refer to the circus in the very beginning. The circus was in the Colosseum where our brothers and sisters were sacrificed. That's what they called it. So we don't have it. Do we have it? We don't have it. Oh, okay. So storytelling time. Um, in the movie, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's been dealing, Paul, the Apostle's been dealing back and forth as he's been beaten and he's in prison, the very prison he wrote this letter from um, to the Philippian church. And there's this one scene where he's sitting with the Praetorian guard on a bench. And he he tells this to this Praetorian guard. He said, have you ever been out on the ocean? He said, yeah. He said, if you can imagine, imagine scooping up a handful of water. And that's your life. And and it's every man's life. And as you hold that water, it's constantly slipping through your fingers. And everything that you appreciate, everything you like in life, in this life, is, is slipping through your fingers. The believer of Christ doesn't look at the handful of water. They look at the ocean, the rest of the sea that's out there, and see that as their life and their blessing. The depth and the wonderment of the riches of God that is theirs, that's yours and mine. And in that they find satisfaction and contentment. This life is passing away, sliding away. It's like mercury. You can't hold on to it. And everything in it. But the life in Christ is that vast ocean in which you and I are called to dwell for all of eternity. To be satisfied in everything that He is. So that the God would bless us according to His riches in Christ Jesus. What are we to take away? You and I are to live in a world bearing the marks of the manifestation of Christ in our lives. We've looked at the mark of joyfulness, humility, obedience, righteousness, and that of being a Christ follower. And then today, of course, strength. Pray more and more as we take this meal today, we share this covenantal meal of, of the fruit of the vine and the, and the body of Christ, that it strengthens you to begin to bear these marks out to the world so that the world would see people who are fully satisfied in God and all who He is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.